Hi everybody, my name is Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I have the pleasure of introducing our guest speaker today, and he's someone who calls PCC home. His name is Garrett Brown, so can we give a big round of applause for Garrett? Where's Garrett? He's coming up. And um, for those of you who don't know, he grew up in this church or coming to this church, junior high group, jumping off the top of the community center roof into the pool. I can either confirm nor deny that that happened. Okay. All right. (laughs) But I told him earlier that um, he is also senior pastor at Sequoia Christian Church for 12 years, and now he's working at a ministry on the Stanford campus, leading kids who are um, studying there to Jesus. And so we're really, really happy to have you here this morning. So thanks, Garrett. Let's give him another round of applause. Thank you all. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I consider PCC a home church. I was here junior high, high school, into college. Had to do my time in LA, like a lot of us end up having to do. Came back to the Bay Area, has uh, worked for a couple churches here in the peninsula. But I was telling Jana earlier, when I was a kid growing up here, Pastor Paul Larson had a pulpit that was like a huge chariot. Anyone remember that? That was awesome. Where'd that go? I feel like you should be ordering buffalo wings on this one here, but... Um, <laughs> This will work out fine. <laughs> this series that uh, we've been in for the last few weeks is, is really just an incredible recalibration of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Yes, our, our marching orders are love. And when you step back from it, we have come to know the love that God has for us. We have come to know and believe, it said in 1 John 4, when we launched into this series. And you step back from it and you think, what other worldview, even what other religion is, is completely centered on this love relationship between creator and creature? It is our theology. Love is our creed. Love is our praxis. And it is not just doing out of obligation, doing out of fear of of judgment if we don't do the right thing. It really is centered on love. And it's a privilege to uh, step into this as we talk about God's heart for the poor, love empowering the poor, or maybe best stated, love is good news for the poor. And I don't necessarily have the credentials for this. I think other people can really speak to this from a personal place. Uh, maybe those who have, have gone through poverty growing up. And, and I grew up here in the Mid-Peninsula. We were right smack in the middle of middle class, right? My dad worked for Kraft Foods. Uh, we weren't a Levi's family. We were a Sears Toughskins family. Right down the middle. And yet, if you live in Silicon Valley long enough, this place of such immense affluence and such incredible opportunity... There will be a point, and I'm sure you've had this, there will be a point where that affluence and opportunity goes into a head-on collision with those at the very fringes of this community, struggling and, and living on less. And we have this bit of a crisis, don't we? And we say to ourselves, what does it mean for a follower of Christ to, to live with means, even meager means, compared to those who live as a struggle every day? What changes may I need to make to my economics and my spending and my lifestyle choices in light of what God says about poverty, in light of the reality of the people we see? What do we say to our kids 
When they see those families with the cards on El Camino, we see the panhandlers at Sequoia Station. And these are tough questions, and there are no easy solutions to these questions. And let's just give ourselves a little bit of a break. This is a very complex topic. And let let me give you a further break. It is not your job to fix it. It's not. It's not your job to fix poverty. In fact, Jesus says, to some extent, we'll always have poverty. We'll always have the poor with us. Church, it is your obligation, it is your privilege to step into the ministry of the gospel of your Messiah, and that means loving people at the very fringes. God's story is a story of rescue for those in brokenness, all sorts of brokenness. And as we have come to know the love of God, as the song we sang, forever we are changed by his love. And we extend that change to the people on the edges. So we're going to start this discussion in the Gospel of Luke. If you want to turn there, I think you'll have that in the handout as well. Luke chapter 4. As you turn there, let me just give a little bit of context. Of course, there's four accounts of the life and the words of Jesus with uh, some degree of of overlap as well as some different facets they bring. And, And Luke's narrative of the story of Jesus is a powerful one. And he starts in those familiar stories about Christmas time, the announcement to Mary, Mary and Joseph and Bethlehem, the shepherds and the angels, right? And then Jesus is born and we see this little scene of him growing up in the temple. And then as he becomes an adult, we're introduced to John the Baptist, the baptism of Jesus, and then the temptation of Jesus. But it's not until the middle of chapter four that the story of the Messiah, his, his public ministry really begins in earnest. And this is where we pick it up. This is the very beginning of of the public ministry of Jesus the Messiah, according to Luke's narrative. And it might be surprising what the focus of his ministry is from the very word go. I'm in Luke chapter four, beginning with uh, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus returns to his his, uh, home church. Kind of know the feeling. This is a little bit weird, right? And he's welcomed as a visiting rabbi. And in the synagogue worship of the first century, not too different from the 21st century, there would be two different readings. There would be the Seder, or the reading from the books of Moses and the Torah. And a rabbi would read it and offer some short commentary or maybe sermon on it. And then there would be the Haftarah, the reading from the prophets. And Jesus was invited to do the reading from the prophets. And he was handed the scroll of Isaiah. And he he scrolls down to chapter 61. They didn't have those designations, but he knew what he was looking for. The passage that was the the proclamation they would read at the year of Jubilee. It was a designation in Hebrew worship. A year of debt forgiveness, a year where, where slaves were set free. And Jesus, at the very moment of the beginning of his public ministry, said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim the gospel, good news, that's what it is, 
to the poor. And he goes on and explains different kinds of poverty, those in oppression, those in captivity, those with, with physical ailments, to declare the year of the Lord's favor. That is the gospel, Jesus says. At the word jump from his ministry, that is the gospel, God's good news of love and grace to those in need. And, and church, forgive me, sometimes we lose sight of that, don't we? Sometimes we, we assume that the definition of the gospel is ask Jesus into your heart and then get a ticket to this future kingdom. And he sits down and says, this scripture is fulfilled now. The kingdom is now. God's rescue mission begins now. We are putting the world to rights. Relationships that are out of bent, justice that has been perverted, truth that has been covered up, beauty that has been marred, we're changing that around starting today. And if you remember in our great uh, launching passage in 1 John chapter 4, I think Brian Wren began this a few weeks ago. Let me, um, let me just read part of that because it's such a, a powerful connection to where we end up today. In verse 13 of 1 John 4, he says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And later he says, verse 17, By this is love perfected in us that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. Here's what the gospel is. I'm here to rescue the poor and to share God's love with them, to declare the year of the Lord's favor. And then one of his apostles reminds us, you know what? That same spirit is on you, church. And that same anointing is on you. That same mission of going out into the world to the broken places is on you. That's not our obligation. That's our privilege as partners and stewards of the gospel. That is his rescue mission to us. So how do we begin to think about this, begin to do it? Uh, it is a daunting thing. It does make us kind of clench up when we talk about this. But, but let me just give a, a very simple path. Number one, love sees the poor. Number two, love walks with the poor. And number three, love becomes poor. So um, if you will indulge me, let's look at those things together. First, we have to have an understanding of, of seeing the poor. Love isn't apathetic, doesn't ignore, but love sees people on the edge, people in brokenness, for who they are, fellow image bearers of God, those for whom Jesus died. And if we really begin to see and understand poverty in, in all its ugliness, we also see opportunity for love. So I want to just really look at two empty nets. So there's all kinds of ways we could describe poverty. And, and just for the sake of time, let's really make it simple. There's material poverty, living without the basics, food, shelter, clothing, um, health. And then we'll call it immaterial or spiritual poverty, living without wholeness. So material poverty is what we think of poor people, you know. And, and just not to, not to use this as a lever for, for guilt or, or feeling bad, not at all. This is just to, to paint a picture, uh, starting big to small, looking at the world. The world has half, a, has a half the, the population living on less than $2.50 a day. Three and, a, three and a half billion people in the world living on less than two fifty dollars a day. And this morning, I stopped on the way of Pete's, on the way to, to church to get Pete's coffee, paid about two fifty, knowing that I was coming to a church that serves pretty good coffee. And still, I didn't think about spending a couple bucks for some, some Major Dickinson's blend, right? 
And we start to, to look at some of these numbers. UNICEF says 22,000 children die every day. And that's a number I can't even begin to, to really come to grips with. But 22,000 children dying with poverty-related issues, malnutrition, lack of access to clean water. And we come into, uh, into the U.S., and the numbers are staggering. Over 43 million Americans living below the poverty line, according to 2016 numbers. And to really bring it closer to home, I, I work now in, in Palo Alto. Like Janet said, I, I serve with Stanford students. Palo Alto, you know, the hub of, of Silicon Valley in a lot of ways, the hub of this affluence and opportunity that we have. And yet homelessness is at a 10-year high. It's up 26% since just 2015. You drive down El Camino right past Stanford, you see one car and one old, old RV after another with people living in their vehicles now. That's the new face of homelessness is, is living in your car. Love the poor, love the oppressed, love the captive, love the blind. That's a picture of material poverty in our world, in our neighborhood. But then we get to spiritual poverty, living without wholeness. And this brings in a whole other element, right? Because we can meet our basic needs. We can even go way beyond that. We can be quite comfortable and still have an emptiness, a lack of wholeness. One of the most fundamental elements of, of wholeness that we are created for is relationships, is community. If we don't have community, if we don't have people speaking into our lives, people for whom we can, we can love, we start to be less than whole. We are impoverished in our soul. I had the privilege for many years to be in leadership in Street Life Ministries, a ministry to the homeless here in our community that was birthed out of Peninsula Covenant. And I'm so excited for where it's been in the last eight years, going from one church involved, now we have 20 churches involved. We have three different locations we just launched in Palo Alto. We are serving hot meals and being that, that first line of, of friendship and fellowship on the street. Uh, 30,000 hot plates of food every year. Opportunity for people to find a transition into jobs or, or addiction recovery or transitional housing. And I don't claim to be an, uh, an expert in homelessness at all. It's a very complex issue. It partly is mental health. It partly is sudden job loss. It can be um, addiction and drugs can be part of that. But almost always... Almost always, there is an element of relational brokenness for people that live on the street. I was uh, speaking a Monday night a couple years ago at our Redwood City facility for Street Life. And after I was sharing, I, I um, went to just eat dinner with the folks there and, and, and chat with the folks. If you haven't done it, we'll give you an opportunity later to talk a little bit about that. But I was talking to this one old guy and big white beard and tattered clothes and a lot of sacks he was carrying. And if you just, homeless guy from Central Casting, if you can picture that. But really friendly old chap. And he was talking about growing up in San Carlos. And I grew up in San Carlos. And he was mentioning all these families and these names. And these were families that, they were like foundational families in that town. I mean, streets and parks are named after these families. But he was frustrated that I didn't really know them. I mean, I heard of them, but I didn't have a personal knowledge of them like he did. And he stepped back, he looked at me and he said, well, when did you grow up there? And I said, I, like 70s and 80s. He said, oh, I thought you were a lot older. You really went gray there, didn't you? And I'm like, easy, homeless Santa Claus, come on. <laughs> but I realized 
what my friend was, was getting at was this nostalgia he had. He had a, an empty place in his heart for those relationships that he had growing up. And part of his story was a breakdown of his family, an estrangement from his family. And it led to all kinds of other things that eventually led to him just embracing this life for many, many years on the street. And, and I know, church, that if the wheels were to completely fall off the wagon in your life next month, there are probably people in this very room who would take your family in, at least for a short time, because you have community, you have relationships here. When that is not present, there is a real spiritual poverty. There's a real lack of wholeness. And we need to see those folks just like we see the people down at Sequoia Station. And we can go on about spiritual poverty. We can, uh, addiction is a form of spiritual poverty, lack of wholeness. But of course, the ultimate spiritual poverty is an estrangement from our creator, right? Those who live outside of the knowledge of God. And again, to throw some numbers at you, not to, not to use that as a lever, but just to, to remind us, to have us see the world through different eyes, there are so many millions of people who have not heard the word Jesus or have no knowledge of God's love for them. There are thousands of language groups that don't have the Bible in their tongue. And so we need to see the poor people, not just be apathetic and look past, but really see the lives that they live and the brokenness that they carry. And then we need to walk with them. Love does not just walk by the poor. Love walks with the poor. Jesus tells a parable later in Luke, and, and we don't have time to go there, but Luke 14, Jesus tells a parable about a wealthy guy who threw this great party and all his wealthy friends blew it off and made excuses. And so he told his servants, go out to the highways and the byways, go out to the dark alleys, go out to the bad side of town and invite those people. Invite them to my party. And it's a beautiful picture of how God invites us in our brokenness, we're on the bad side of town, to come to where he is. But folks, we don't need biblical scholars to figure out there's a very practical element of that parable. When you are throwing a celebration, what would it look like to invite someone else who's maybe on the wrong side of the tracks into your life to take a short walk with them? Or what would it look like to just step into their lives for a brief time and walk with them, not to walk by? I was a pastor down the street at Sequoia Church for a long time, and, and Topaz, where Sequoia is, is kind of a little hidden part there. It's where Alameda does a zigzag. So you can live in Rose City for a long time and not know it's there. But believe me, the people on the street knew it was there because they knew a church that, as PCC does, that would be able to help people in need. There was this one gentleman who, who didn't live in town. He was always kind of on the move. His name was David. But I would see him every nine months or so, and he would show up. And he was always too proud to just flat out ask, but there was obvious needs that he had. And so one time, I'm in the middle of, of probably all kinds of stuff. I'm doing whatever it was, sermon prep or meetings. But he shows up, and the Lord was impressing on me, take a walk with David. We ended up driving downtown, and we parked, and we took a walk, and we got some tacos. And then we took a walk, and I got him a bus ticket to Reno because that's where the next opportunity for him was. And then we took a walk, and we went to Kmart. He needed clean socks. He needed a new sleeping bag. And yeah, it cost me a couple hours that day. It cost me a few bucks that day. But taking a walk with David, I got to hear his story. He served the United States Marine Corps in Afghanistan. He was injured. Out of his injury, he became addicted to prescription painkillers. 
That led him on a downward spiral, a breakdown of family, inability to keep a job, ongoing pain. I heard David's story, and at the same time as we were walking just to get tacos and socks, he got to hear my story. And he got to hear what makes my heart beat and the love that God has for me and the calling on my life to tell other people about that love. It was just a a brief walk. It was just a little bit of investment in time. And in church, I realize we can't stop every time and take a walk with every person we see on the street. At some point, God will ask you to do that though. And if you see the poor in all their brokenness, you'll be more ready maybe at that point to take a short walk with the poor. Because that's what love does. Love sees the poor and love walks with the poor. And finally, love becomes poor. Love doesn't just give to the poor. Love compels us to empty ourselves and becoming poor. It's interesting, the city of San Francisco has spent so many millions of dollars dealing with the homeless issue. It's in the news. You see the encampments, the waste, and the needles. $275 million last year San Francisco spent And if you break that down according to all the the unsheltered in the city, that's about $36,000. So much money. So much money, and yet the problem gets worse. And the problem ultimately is not programs. I think a beginning of addressing this problem, and again, it's not our job to fix it. It is our job to be obedient to God. The beginning of that is we have to come empty-handed to him ourselves. We have to be filled up with something that we are uh, empty of ourselves. We have to recognize our own spiritual poverty in order to be filled up with the love of God that he has to pour out to others because writing a check just is not going to fix this problem. Luke 4, Jesus launches his public ministry in the synagogue in Nazareth. In Luke 5, he takes it out to the streets. Or more specifically, he takes it to the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. And he commandeers this fisherman's boat as he teaches the crowds from the boat. And this boat is run by this guy named Simon, who also goes by Peter and his brother and their two friends, James and John. And after he teaches the crowd, he turns to Simon and says, Simon, take this boat out into the deep because we're going to go fishing. And you're going to see something that you've never seen before. And Simon protests, and he says in uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 5, he says, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down my nets. I find that expression one of the, the saddest and most honest in Scripture. I have toiled all night, and I have come up empty. And folks, that is the prevailing myth in Silicon Valley. If you work hard enough, you will get everything you deserve. Working with with Stanford students, I'm sorry, Cal people, I find Stanford students the brightest students, the most innovative students. And yet there's so much there that, that wars for their soul. And on any college campus around, there are worldviews that are, that are attacking this idea that I am a child of God here to represent him and his purposes in this world. And, and they fight that every day. And on every college campus, especially Stanford, there is this prevailing hookup culture mentality where love is cheap and, and sexuality is just a toy to be explored. 
And I worry about those things with my students, but sometimes what I really worry about is this, and it's very subtle, but it's the prevailing myth that if I work all my life, I will get everything I deserve. And it might work out. You might end up being pretty affluent, but you can end up with empty nets, right? And so Peter recognizes, boy, this whole lifestyle I thought I had control of, working and serving and and doing my, my duty and saying the right prayers, I've come up short, I've come up empty. But what does he say? At your word, Jesus, who is the word, at your word, I will go to these deeper places. And what does he find? They bring in this huge haul of fish. But Peter, this isn't about the fish. This isn't about the stuff. This is about something else. And what does Peter do? He has this really odd reaction when they bring in this haul of fish. Verse eight, he says, but when Simon Peter saw it, these nets full of fish, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What's going on with Peter there? I think for the first time he is recognizing his own poverty. He's recognizing that he's been chasing down this myth of toiling all his life and he's come up short, he's come up empty whether that's the myth of, of having your own business, the myth of, of traditional legalistic expressions of religion, whatever his myth was, he has worked all his life and he realized that does not fill me up. And what does Jesus say to him? Do not be afraid, Simon. Do not be afraid. Folks, First John 4, what does perfect love cast out? Perfect love casts out fear. Peter, you no longer have to be afraid that this is on you to fill yourself up. In fact, Peter, in the crazy economics of God, you have to do the exact opposite. You have to find yourself empty. You have to come to me hands up in surrender. You have to be poor, Peter, in order for me to provide abundance. And when you do that, and here's the important part, when you do that, Peter, I will then make you a fisher of men and you will go out and you will expose the myth of the world and the the truth of emptiness. And then you will fill those people up with my love as you have been filled with your love. That is our mission, to become empty, to become poor ourselves in order that we can have that, that crisis moment, depart from me, Lord, I am an evil man. I've toiled all night, all my life, I've come up empty. All I got to rely on is your love. And having received that, then I'm in a better position to fill up others. We have to come poor ourselves. So how do we love the poor? Just some, um, some practical opportunities here this church offers, and then I want to end with some, some questions for you. The good news is Peninsula Covenant makes it really easy for me to share this with you because they have such a track record. You have such a track record of loving this city, of blessing this city in Jesus' name. And yet there are some ways that that maybe you've never tried. Maybe you've been a little hesitant to. Maybe you just never figured you had time in your schedule but God might be asking you to see and to walk and to become empty yourself. I mentioned Street Life Ministries, such a, a great effective way for churches and community groups to bless those in need on the street. Raise your hand if you've ever done any volunteering or served dinner or maybe prepared a meal, driven a van for Street Life. A few of you here, 
Now keep your hands up for a second. The rest of you who've maybe thought about that or maybe thought maybe there's some way that in just some small opportunity, I can be part of blessing homeless people, blessing people in need. Go find the people whose hands were raised. How do I do it? Is it scary? It's not scary. It's actually quite, quite life-affirming to do it. So find others that have done this and, and get your questions asked and, and sign up. It doesn't have to be street life. There's other ways uh, we could bless people in need in our community. Another thing we haven't talked about much yet is this idea that oftentimes in, in families that are struggling, families where, where both parents are toiling multiple jobs, their kids sometimes get lost in the mix. Oftentimes it's because they're, they're immigrants here and English is not something that is their first language. And so their kids go to school and they fall behind in reading. And, and when a kid can't read, a kid struggles in literacy, it's, it's a, a domino effect that affects so many areas of their life. And so we have opportunities through Generations United, Redwood City Reads, Reading Partners, Peninsula Literacy, the library system, to sit down with a young kid and just open up a book and read with them, read to them, have them read to you. Who's ever done that? Just spend a time in reading or helping a literacy program. And some of you have thought about that. Some of you have thought, what could I do? You could sit and spend an hour a week with a kid reading and change their life. So many different ways, so many practical ways the church has, has allowed and opened up avenues for us to bless this city whom Jesus loves. But let me wrap up with a couple questions for you. If perfect love casts out fear, the opposite is true. Sometimes it's our fear that keeps us from loving other people. So what fear might you have today? that prevents you from loving those in need and loving those in brokenness. And that's a conversation that is worth having with God sometime this week. Lord, expose the parts of me that are really holding back, that are fearful of stepping in and taking a short walk with someone else in need. Another question, in light of Jesus' proclamation of what the gospel is. It's good news for the poor. It's declaring the year of the Lord's favor. In light of what he said to Peter, you need to come to these deep places empty-handed, be filled by me, and I'm gonna have you fill up others. In light of those things, maybe what in your thinking needs to change? What in your thinking about what is the, go the gospel message? What in your behaviors? Maybe even what in your spending? That's not my business. That's your business between you and God. But what in your thinking, your attitude, your convictions might need to change in light of Jesus' words here? And finally, is there someone that you can share this with? Is there someone you can, you can have an ongoing conversation with? Address the issues of poor and brokenness in God's love. The Apostle Paul speaks to the incarnational nature of God's love. Let me just close with this. He says in um, 2 Corinthians chapter eight, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit here present in this place, and Lord Jesus, uh, we come to you sometimes overwhelmed by these numbers and overwhelmed by the reality. We drive by the encampments. 
and we see the hurting people on the streets, and, and we have no clue how we even got here, let alone how to do anything about it. None of this takes you by surprise, Lord. You know that this is a world that is hurting and broken. So give us eyes as the Messiah had eyes to see those in all places of brokenness, maybe even the deeper places of those who live a life of broken relationships, live a life of estrangement from you. Give us eyes to see them and then prompt us at those appropriate moments when your Holy Spirit is saying, take a walk or invite them to your party or step into their lives. But mostly, Father, we need to come with empty nets. We need to come with empty nets saying, I don't want to believe this myth of toil, of self-toil anymore. So I come empty, fill me up, and then use me as an instrument to fill others. We love you, Lord, and we trust you. And we trust you have a plan for us as you give us the privilege of stewardship of the gospel. Because love does. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason, and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.